Welcome to Thoroughly Equipped, a podcast for women where we compare the popular women's ministry teachings, books, conferences, Bible studies, etc. to scripture. Our focus is 2 Timothy 3.16-17, that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. another episode. Thank you so much for joining me today. I am your host, Melba Toast. If you are new, welcome. I pray for you who are listening, that this episode blesses you, and of course, that it glorifies God. Now, before we get into today's topic, I want to update you on some news. Thoroughly Equipped is now part of Striving for Eternity's Christian podcast community. Striving for Eternity is a ministry that provides articles, educational resources, speakers, podcasts, etc., all centered around the Christian faith. I heartily urge you to visit their website at strivingforeternity.org and check out all their great resources and all their great podcasts. I have found some great podcasts in the Christian podcast community that have really been a blessing to me, and I can't wait to promote and share them with you. Again, the address is strivingforeternity.org, just a great website to find solid biblical resources. Now, the topic. Today, I want to talk about discernment, a term that has taken on many meanings on evangelicalism today. So, I'd like to talk a bit about what discernment is and what it isn't, why we women should put effort into growing in discernment and what scripture says about it. First, I want to talk about the title of this episode, though. Most of you probably know Titus 2 and its instruction to older women to teach the younger certain godly attributes to be encouraged in and pursue. So, why and how does discernment fit into the Titus 2 mandate? Well, I believe it has everything to do with Titus 2. When Paul instructs Timothy and, by proxy, all other elders and shepherds of the church, He instructs the elders to teach what is in accord with sound doctrine and instruct the older women in their flock to teach what is good. So, how does one come to know sound doctrine and that which is good so that they can teach it? This is the practice of discernment. The ability to know truth from lie, evil from good. And as we will see, it's an ability that one matures into, one that a person must exercise, practice, and train themselves in. We must separate truth from lie, evil from good, so that we can teach and do that which is good to and for others, the very service of love. Not only do I want to make a case for why you should make an effort to learn how to discern truth from lie, but I want to show you how right doctrine, good teachings, affect our sanctification and produce certain good works. So, what is discernment, ladies? Let's first look at what discernment is not. We often hear quoted in relation to discernment this verse. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. 1 John 4.1 
Now, most often in American evangelicalism today, this verse is used in the context of discerning new private revelations. James W. Gull from charismamag.com in a podcast he's done on discernment teaches a series revolving around the presupposition that a believer should be receiving personal revelation from God. And this is the very common teaching that centers on discernment, how to discern the heart impressions, thoughts, and subjective revelation one believes is from God. Quote, learning to listen with discernment means that you begin to recognize the voice of God so well that other voices sound familiar. End quote. From Prophet, Learn to Listen with Discernment by James W. Gall, charismamag.com. I have to lay this out because if the common teaching that Christians should be receiving personal revelations is true, then yes, we should be taught how to discern those hard impressions, thoughts, dreams, and subjective experiences, as we would have to learn how to differentiate between our own thoughts, demonic influence, or God's voice. But what if that presupposition is false? If God has already spoken, and we have all we need in the scriptures for godliness and good works, then there's no need to discern those subjective experiences. Now, I've gone through how scripture contradicts this very popular teaching on hearing the voice of God. This topic is dealt with in the Let's Talk About Lysa Turker's book, Is God Speaking to Me? series, and the Two Opposing Doctrines, Sola Scriptura versus Discerning God's Voice episode. There are also some very good resources which helped me on this topic that I would highly recommend to you, such as Jim Osmond's God Doesn't Whisper, Greg Kugel's Decision Making and the Will of God Lectures, and Justin Peters' lectures titled Clouds Without Water. Now, these men have gone into this topic in much more detail and do a much better job arguing for the sufficiency of scripture than I do. So, If there's no need to discern heart impressions, experiences, dreams, and personal revelations, well then, what is this verse talking about? What is it that we are discerning? Let's take a little time to look at this verse in context. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. 1 John three twenty four and 4, 6. So, let's first take notice of how John states that those who keep God's commandments abide in God. We can know that we abide in God because the Spirit of the living God abides in us, causing us to obey His commands. 
This is then where John contrasts the living spirit with false spirits, urging us to test these spirits. Now, what are these spirits tied to? False prophets. Did you notice that? The reason we are to test the spirits is because false prophets have gone out into the world. Prophets are people who claim to know God and receive his words. They proclaim the word of God that we are to trust and believe in and obey. True prophets have God's revealed word, while false prophets claim that they have God's revealed words, but actually have their own words, Jeremiah twenty three sixteen, leading people astray. So these spirits we are to test are teachings, doctrines, and words that come outside of ourselves, words that come from people who claim to hear from God, not subjective heart impressions or personal revelations that we believe could be from God. These people give teachings that John states either confess Christ has come in the flesh from God or deny that Jesus is from God. These people are teachers that present doctrine that contradict in some way the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They speak from the world because they come from the world, not from God. And then John clarifies and gives a very practical way of testing these spirits. And that is this, that those who know God will listen to the apostles. Whoever knows God listens to us, he says. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us, the apostles. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. This is discernment. Discernment is examining everything carefully, holding fast to that which is good, and abstaining from every form of evil. Thessalonians 5, 21-22. Discernment is comparing that which we hear, read, and are taught to Scripture, where we find the words of God given by the Holy Spirit through the prophets and apostles. We have the law and the prophets of the Old Testament that witness to the pre-incarnate Christ, the proclamation of his coming, and the new covenant, Luke 24, 27. And we have the apostles in the New Testament who proclaim Christ come in flesh as from God, who were chosen by Christ to be eyewitnesses to his life, death, and resurrection. In the Old Testament, those who discern are described as acquiring knowledge and understanding, Proverbs 15.14, Proverbs 18.15, Psalm 119.125. It is knowledge and understanding that centers around the statutes of God. With this knowledge and understanding, one then exercises discernment in differentiating between that which is true, God's word and statutes, and that which is false, that which is good, and that which is evil. Romans 12.2 sums this up beautifully. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So why do we women need to exercise discernment? As you can see, Paul contrasts the conforming of the world from the renewing of our mind. 
that by testing and discerning the will of God, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect, we can therefore present our bodies as living sacrifices to that will. This is why discernment is so very important to train up into. Because the doctrine that we take in will guide our works. For the Christian woman, all the doctrine that surrounds the gospel will drive us to present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, because our faith in God's word, and specifically the gospel, is what delights God. As Titus 2 states in regards to women teaching that which is good, it encourages us to do the good works that God calls his women to do. So here is where we will look at the practicality of good doctrine in a woman's life. What happens to a woman when she studies the scriptures to equip her for every good work? How does holding to these good doctrines taught to us in scripture affect our homes? Now in the last to Titus 2 time, I went over why it's important to learn what is right, good, and true. That was because it does something. What we come to believe, what we trust and put our faith in produces actions. And these actions are guided either by God's teachings or man's teachings. So let's just look at a few scriptural doctrines and how they will affect and guide the life and actions of women in their homes. So I'm just going to look at certain aspects of the persons of the Trinity to bring to light how right doctrine taught on the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit can have a huge impact on driving us to good works. Believe me, these are just a few observations as there are numerous implications that can be gleaned from good theology and its impact on our lives. One, First and most importantly, the gospel should be the foremost in our learning. The proclamation that God sent his son to die on the cross for our sins first humbles us and then reveals the great love that God has for us. It teaches us about his holiness, his justice, his wrath, our sinful nature, what we deserve, God's grace, his mercy, forgiveness, and his great love for us. This is why Paul urges the church in Hebrews to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Philippians 2, 3-5. The gospel drives us to love and forgive others as Christ loves and forgives us. Colossians 3, 12-14. This, as a Christian woman, is applied to everyone, but especially to our husbands and children, and we, as we learn that which is good, the gospel, will draw us to be Titus 2 and Proverbs 31 women. And two, learning and trusting in the truths found in Scripture about God the Father will bring faith without fear, leading to true submission and love without fear. The scriptures teach us about God, that he is triune in nature, that in the Godhead there is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Old Testament, the Law, and the Prophets are the testimonies of God and his work in history. The New Testament is composed of eyewitness accounts of the Son come in flesh and the recordings of what he taught as the Holy Spirit brought to remembrance these teachings and directed the authors of the epistles to write them down. Basically, the scriptures teach us about God. 
When we learn about God and come to actually know Him, we begin to trust Him more and more. What we know about Him can be seen through our actions. I believe one of the most revealing ways to see where a woman's trust lies is in her submission. Now, God willing, I hope to do a full episode on this, looking in depth at First Peter on submission, but for a quick explanation of what I mean here is that for most, and it was especially true for me, my battle with submitting to the headship of my husband came from my lack of trust in the sovereignty of God. That was until I studied First Peter, and especially focused on what it meant to be a daughter of Sarah, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening, First Peter 3.6. When a Christian woman has not come to the understanding that God's hand is everywhere, even working in the lives of husbands who may be disobedient to his word, we can feel it is our duty to direct our husband's morality, spiritual growth, and household leading. This is because we fear that our husband's decisions will hurt and affect us negatively. A right doctrine on the sovereignty of God also instructs our love for our children and our neighbors in the same way. It brings us to love without fear. So, When we are confronted with our children's sins, the sins of family members and friends, there is no fear in whatever the circumstance because God is our Father. While sinful, disobedient choices do hurt us, a sovereign God is at work even in these decisions, working out all things for our good. Even with the suffering and hurts that come from sin, God is so good and so sovereign, He works it out to grow all his children in sanctification. See, ladies, this is the theology put in practice. Now, three, learning and trusting in the truths found in Scripture about the Son and his work will bring joy and assurance leading to peace. The more we discern right doctrine about the second person of the Trinity, the Son, and meditate on who he is and what he has done, the more we have joy. Romans 15, 13 states, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Notice where Paul states where he prays all our joy and peace be in, believing. This believing, of course, is in that which is good and true. We discern that which is true and right and believe in it, and by it comes our joy and peace. This simply stated prayer teaches us what Paul desires for those who read this epistle, that we be filled with all joy and peace in believing what he has taught in Romans specifically, but we can say in all of scripture as well, so that by the filling of this joy and peace in believing, we may, by the power of the Holy Spirit, abound in hope. In practicality, when we come to know Christ and his accomplishments, especially that he reconciled us to the Father, that anyone who is in Christ is a new creation, the old has passed away, behold, the new has come, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting our trespasses against us. And for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5, 17-19 and verse 21. 
Let joy, peace, and great hope come from the doctrine of this reconciliation, a doctrine so rarely taught in most evangelical churches today. For most churches, the teachings revolve around either being better or actions one displays as a quote-unquote Christian, or they revolve around the declarations or positions we have as Christians, reminding you that you're awesome, that God thinks you're just so special, that he has great plans for your life. Instead, we should be focusing on the truths that this gospel, this plan of God's redemption, of this eternal life that was promised before the ages, Titus 1-2, is secured for us in Christ, by which nothing can thwart his work. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who does not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to the slaughter. Now in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans eight thirty one to 39 It is by this doctrine that we are filled with joy and peace. This will drive our hope and will result in actions of love. 4. Learning and trusting in the truths found in Scripture that revolve around the Holy Spirit expose and produce the work of the Spirit. When we can differentiate between truth and lies and teachings of the person of the Holy Spirit and believe that which is true regarding Him, we will produce that which He will work in us, the fruits of the Spirit. The persons of the Trinity are one and so interconnected that when we learn about the Father and His work, the Son and His work, we will produce the work of the Holy Spirit. His work in convicting us of our sin, John sixteen seven to 11 comparing ourselves to a holy and righteous God, bringing humbleness and a reliance on God's grace and mercy, drawing us more and more to Christ and His work more and more. His work in bringing us to know truth as He is truth, John fourteen fifteen to 17 causes us to go to Scripture for all life and godliness, 2 Peter 1, 3. His work... In our regeneration, our spiritual birth, John 3, 6-8, brings us to faith in Christ to trust in His work and call Him Lord. The Spirit living in us, 1 Corinthians 6, 19, produces fruits in us, Galatians 5, 22-23, helps us in our weakness and intercedes for us, Romans 8, 26, drawing us to go to God in prayer, and effectually working God's will by them, and His work helps us to be a witness 
to the work of Christ and the gospel, Acts 1.8, in our lives. There is so much more we can say about scriptural doctrines and the blessings they bring when exercised, but now that we know some of why learning right doctrine is important, we can make a case for why cultivating discernment is so very important to the Christian life. When we understand that learning and trusting in all the words given by God in scriptures will cause us to walk and become more like Christ, we will become like David, declaring that through his precepts, we get understanding. Therefore, we love his commandments above gold, above fine gold. Therefore, we consider all his precepts to be right and we hate every false way. Psalm 119, 104, and 128. So let's ask ourselves, is this me? Do I have understanding? Do I love his commandments? Do I consider all his words given to me in scripture to be good, right, and true? All I need to equip me for every good work? Do I hate every false way? This is the heart or motivation behind discernment. It is a reverence and love for God's word and a hatred of that which distracts from or contradicts it. So how do we cultivate discernment? Well, one, we must renew our mind. Romans 12, 1-2 states, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, Paul explains to us how we should present our bodies as living sacrifices, that when we do this, we worship God. And then he states how we are to do this, by not being conformed to the world, doing things and acting as the world behaves, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. This takes work and effort. It is a process of consistent action, a renewing which consists of changing the thoughts, ideas, philosophies, presuppositions, worldviews, etc., and taking these that we believed in our flesh, exposing where we have suppressed truth in unrighteousness, and revealing our sins and false beliefs to the light of God's word, thereby renewing our thoughts and taking them captive to obey Christ, Corinthians 10.5, and comparing all we already know, believe, and trust in, and all we hear to God's revealed truth in his written word. This will cause us not to be conformed to the world, that by testing and discerning what is God's will, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect, we then present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to Him, doing that which He instructs us to do. We are presenting our minds to the altar, renewing it every time we dive into Scripture, and let it divide the soul and spirit judging the thoughts and intentions of our own hearts, Hebrews 4.12. We must hold fast to true doctrine. Now, as we hold fast and contend for that which is true, we will hate that which is false. John, in writing to an unknown woman in the church, after commending her for her and her children walking in the truth, 
and warning her of the many deceivers gone out into the world, states, Watch yourselves, so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. 2 John 8.11 While this verse is in the cultural context of hospitality, the heart of this passage is how separated we should be from those that teach deception. We are to guard against any teachers who bring any teaching that is contrary to God's already revealed word. Notice that this passage has two actions instructed to the lady. 1. Abide in the teachings of Christ. And 2. Do not receive or give greeting to false teachers or deceivers. He informs her that to even greet them is to partake in their wicked works. This may seem a little harsh, but to greet them, or in other words, to cheerfully or joyfully hail them, in a way diminishes the importance of truth. Any false teachings that surround Christ and his work given to us in the gospel, these put people's salvation on the line. That is most definitely a wicked work that we do not want to partake in. We must also contend for the faith. In Jude, We have a whole epistle written to the church urging them to contend for the faith. Jude, who was eager to write about the common salvation to those who were called out, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, instead felt that it was necessary to appeal to them to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Jude 1-3 It was because certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation— ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now, in both epistles and in other passages which warn of false teachers, we are instructed to draw a line between true and false doctrine and to reject the false. This is discernment in action, but Scripture takes it further. Not only do we exercise discernment and hold fast to that which is true, we are called to contend for the faith. Contend means to struggle, to surmount or overcome, to assert something as a position in an argument. And this is the goal of Thoroughly Equipped, to show you how scripture renews your mind, helps you learn how to compare the teachings you receive in scripture, discerning that which is good from that which is false, and then to contend for the teaching from Scripture as surpassing all other teachings, praying God will grow you in your faith. So, after going through what discernment is, some of why good doctrine grows us in sanctification, and how we exercise discernment, in all of it, what should be the goal behind discernment? In 1 Thessalonians 5, 19-22 tells us to not quench the spirit, to not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. The purpose of Christian discernment is to learn that which is good and hold fast to it. 
The act of discerning the good from the bad, truth from lie, good from evil, is useless if we do not hold fast to that which is good, for it will cause us, as Paul relays, to abstain from every form of evil. There are three reasons why women should exercise discernment. 1. We discern so that we may not sin, and advise and guide those we love into the truth of God's word so they may not sin. Whether you realize it or not, the teachings we accept as true, we will give. Like the scriptures say, false teachers speak that which is irreverent babble, as it leads people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene, swerving from the truth, upsetting the faith of some. 2 Timothy 2, 16-18 False teaching spreads from one person to the next. Jesus warns his disciples of leading people astray in Mark 9:42-50. He says, "Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell to the unquenchable fire." And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. So at minimum, false teaching hinders the growth of a Christian, and at its worst, false teaching turns people away from the God of Scripture to follow a God of their own devising, causing them to sin. These teachers claim to have heard from God, prophesying out of their own imaginations, following their own spirit, yet really have seen and heard nothing. Ezekiel 13.3 Their teachings draw people away from the faith to follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. 1 Timothy 4.1 To which they then transgress the first and the third commandment, to have no other gods before him, and to not misuse or misrepresent the name of the Lord. We must be careful that we do not hinder our loved one's spiritual growth by bringing false teaching to them. And yes, ladies, in some form or other, we all teach each other by word or deed. Any one of you who have children or husbands understands this. Even those of you who are not married or do not have kids know that your words and actions teach your friends, co-workers, etc., What you say and what you do will teach them and inform others of who you are and what you believe, especially if you claim to be a Christian. Your walk and talk will reveal who your Lord is. For this exact reason flows number two, that what we have discerned to be good, right, and true will affect our works, our walk. Again, this is the practicality of exercising discernment, because when we trust in the truths of Scripture— The fruits of our faith will be done by the Spirit for our neighbor. We will, in realization and trust in the sovereignty of God, who directs all men's hearts, and who uses the suffering you and I may go through 
to bring us closer to him, we will, without fear, willingly submit ourselves to one another. We will, in discerning the truth of Christ and his work, live in peace with all, knowing we are secure in the justification received through him, and we will, in discerning the work of the Holy Spirit, go through his word to thoroughly equip us for all we need for life and godliness and every good work. Trusting that he is at work in us, sanctifying us, and making us more like Christ. Ladies, if you are convicted, as I am and have been, at past instances where you may have believed false teaching and or spread false teachings, repent and trust in Christ for those sins. Know that you are clothed in his perfect righteousness when you do this as if you talked and walked like him, teaching people like he did, loving people like he did. We, on this side of eternity in this sinful flesh, will not get everything right, nor walk perfectly. But thanks be to God that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Romans 8.23 And now, God in his sovereignty has brought you to repentance and will, by the Holy Spirit, guide you and sanctify you in his word as it is truth john seventeen seventeen, praise god and that is where our third goal comes in in the learning of god's doctrine the exercising of discernment the holding fast to christ's teachings and the contending for the faith is ultimately to glorify god in all we do Christ directs us to pray and ask that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Matthew 6, 9-10 This starts with us. Through Christ's work in the gospel and in God's sovereignty and by the Holy Spirit working in the individuals of his chosen people, God's will is being done. The answer to this prayer is being worked out when God's people discern that which is true from that which is false. It's being done when we have discerned the truth by the Holy Spirit through the scriptures to obey Christ's commands. God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and it starts with you, dear sister. It starts with me. It starts with our discerning the good to live out in our daily lives, serving those in our home and those out in the world. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Psalm 1. May God be glorified in all of it. So ladies, till next time, I pray you are meditating day and night on scripture, being firmly planted and holding fast to Christ and his word. 
May you, with all knowledge and discernment, contend for the faith, loving your husband, children, friends, family, etc., through encouraging them to go to Christ in the scriptures, fighting the good fight, so that you may hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I pray you are in his word.